Welcome to Success Stories brought to you by SNS Activewear. I'm your host, Marshall Atkinson, and this is the podcast that focuses on what's working so you can have success too. If you're a fan of great looking t-shirts, especially those with a race car, then today's episode of Success Stories will be built just for you. On the show today, we welcome Bruce Kittle, an industry vet since 1983. He's been designing for national sports teams, the music industry, labor unions, national parks, and of course, the auto racing industry. Bruce is currently the owner and director of Screen Art Studios, a graphic design studio that caters to the screen print and apparel industry by providing design, remote art department options, and remote production consulting. So get out your sketch pad and get ready to take some notes, or maybe a doodle or two as we welcome Bruce Kittle to the Success Stories podcast. Hey, Bruce, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. You know, this is two art guys talking. <laughs> what could go yeah. wrong? Who knows? We'll find out. <laughs> so, Bruce, where, where do you live? I am in a suburb of Kansas City, Missouri. It's a Blue Springs. Okay, great. And have you lived there your whole life? I have lived in this metropolitan area, yes, my whole life. And uh, since I was young, I've been an avid Chiefs fan. <laughs> so go Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. That's great. They're certainly doing well. So let's start the show and just really discuss how you got started in the industry. So, you know, 1983 was a while ago. So take us back to those early years. What was it like back then as opposed to working now? Because I'm sure a lot of people are just fascinated by, you know, we have those dinosaur tools and stuff, right? We, yeah. don't, we don't have all the fancy things they have now, right? What, oh, yeah. what was it like working back then? Oh, man. What, uh, I, all I can say is what wasn't different. Um, you know, this was pre-computer, pre-digital age. And uh, – Gosh, I was fresh out of high school in 83 and uh, ended up taking a graphics course at the area of vocational school uh, out of pocket because my counselors weren't smart enough to have me take it while I was in high school when it was free. <laughs> so I ended up uh, going a half a year with uh, that class and then decided, you know, uh, I was ready to start doing art. And uh, there just happened to be a local shop down the street from me, um, a screen printer. I'd never done it, and uh, but they needed an artist, and you know, when a screen print needs an artist, they they will take the first person that walks through the door that has a decent sketchbook, and so that's kind of what happened for me, and you know that's where everything started. Um, gosh, everything back then was completely by hand. You know, it, it took it was nothing but the talent you had with you know you were born with, and and a few. Uh, tools like uh, an ink pen and a light table and some ruby lift right so you were cutting ruby lift did you also make blue line boards you know those are the famous camera readies <laughs> right with the stack cameras you guys were using that yeah i yeah i did a lot of that too um but like i said i mean my very first job as an artist was in screen printing so i i kind of was headed down that direction right from the start and um you know, back then it was uh, everything was an experiment. You were figuring things out day by day. Um, I I learned everything I learned on my own while I was working. Right. That's called OJT on the job training. <laughs> yeah, you bet. So uh, there's people out there right now who maybe just started this industry, and you're talking about Ruby Lift. Right, which is a film you had to cut with a, a knife to yeah. make your shapes, and that was how you made your screens. Walk us through what that was like and how long it took to do. Let's just say we want to do a basic design of just some words or something, right? Not anything super elaborate, just you know, senior class 1983. How long would it take to make something? Uh, and let's say we're doing like a two or three color job. Oh, gosh. Well, back then there was no lettering. <laughs> there was no, you know, I mean, I first uh, started doing everything by hand. So I had to actually draw the letters. And um, like I said, everything's done with a 
pencil sketch. Then you go put that on the table, on the white table. Then you put a, a piece of vellum over it. And if they don't know what vellum is, <laughs> it was a type of mylar with a coated film, you know, a coated surface on it. So it would hold on to the ink. And then you uh, traced over your sketch and, and try to get as, as detailed as you could at that point. And then after that, you had to start in with the color separations with Ruby lift over the top of that. And so um, it was tedious. And, um, you know, you really had to kind of get an understanding as to where things went once they went on press. And that, you know, that's a whole nother part of the, the curve there is, is figuring that out. And so, um, you know, just one simple design, like you're talking about two, three colors would easily take a couple of hours, three hours, maybe something of, you know, you could do on the computer in about 15 minutes now. And, uh, (laughs) so it was, uh, you had to learn how to get moving, um, and settle for getting, you know, the best you could, the quickest you could. Yeah. Done is better than perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, uh, you know, I got started, uh, I graduated from high school in 82 and I was doing t-shirts, uh, when I was in college, I went to Florida state and I didn't really start doing stuff professionally in the t-shirt world until I, uh, decided to get my master's degree in architecture. Cause I was paying for my graduate school. And then I was doing, I wasn't really doing Ruby lip. I would, I would use letter set rub down letters to make the word, or I would uh, draw something with markers. And then I would make uh, copies of it with a copy machine and then use a proportion wheel to figure out it needed to be 138% bigger to fit into the space. And then I would strip it all. I would put wax on the back of it. I remember this part and then strip it in and rub it down. And I would make each plate individually like that. And it was called blue lines because blue, of course, doesn't reproduce with the stack camera. Yep. And we would make each plate individually like that. And so a multicolor design, four, five, six colors, that took a whole day easily. Yeah. And and <laughs> um and let me tell you that my whole life changed, I'm sure it did with you, uh, in um the early 90s, and when the Mac came out. And they had this newfangled thing called Photoshop, right? And yep. I got the privilege to play around with it during semesters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started like recreating my designs and I never went back to college, right? And that's when I started as an art director back in the early 90s. So Bruce, what was it like when you first started to use a computer? What When was that? Do you remember? Uh- uh, it was it was it was glorious for me because I, um, you know, back in the early days, we had to use what was called a an image setter or a uh, e- even worse, there were these little tiny rinky dink slide projectors that had preset pieces of slides in them with letters, and you'd shine light through them and put this little film strip through the other side and <laughs> expose every single letter onto this one strip of film and if you messed up you had to start all over again and it it was crazy so you know i'd been through the pain of all that for a couple of years and then uh advanced to you know taking it to a print house back then and they would have a a a laser did you know image setter which you could just give them the text and they would enter it in the uh computer you know the old dos (laughs) you know text only and it would spit out type, you know, and you could paste that up, you know, before you went to the camera. Well, um, after going through that for several years, I just, you know, I was really thankful. I, I started doing freelance and um, first got into the cars, you know, clear back in, I think it was 88. And 88, I started working for this little local company that did nothing. He was a little screen print shop out of his house. Uh, named BLT Sandwiches. <laughs> I don't even know why he called it that. But, or Shirt Witches, that's what it was. BLT Shirt Witches. Uh, <laughs> he was, he was uh, a strange marketer, but he uh, uh, 
did only race car stuff. That's all he did. He hung out at the tracks and sold to the drivers. And I started doing those for him. And um, he's bought a original Macintosh, you know, the green screen, you know, the one color, you know, no color. First time I'd seen a mouse in my life, you know, it was, it was crazy. Um, but on that machine, he had the original Aldous Freehand. Uh, that was the it was best even, program. That oh, was it, favorite. it was. I mean, you could do stuff with that lettering that you could have never done before. Stretch it and warp it and envelope it, make it in circles and ovals. And it, it just did whatever stuff that you'd never seen before. So that was like amazing. You know, I'd be able to just do that in minutes and print it out and then, you know, put it into my line work, you know, or my separation yeah. or, you know, take a shot on the, usually I'd just take it to the stat camera, get it on into film, transparent film. And then I would splice that into my work. But um, for those listening, this was before illustrator came out. Freehand was the program to use, right? So, Got it. Um, yep. <laughs> and and uh, I remember when Illustrator came out, I tried it and I didn't like it because it wasn't no. free and I didn't have the control or the speed. Uh, and Illustrator just seems like, why are they moving everything in slow motion? I didn't like. Yeah, know. yeah, it was it was a struggle. I didn't actually get into Illustrator until oh gosh, a couple years later when they I think got to version three. Well, you know, they bought freehand and they shut it down. Oh, yeah. oh I know they did. Yeah, that was yeah. terrible. <laughs> it was the only it was the only program out there that actually their color system actually catered to spot colors. Um, yeah. and they, they did some amazing things. They catered to the screen print industry to a certain degree, um, because their niche was so much smaller than Illustrator had become so big that um, they were catering to people that were short sighted by Illustrator. And had some great functions for spot colors and separations that you could not get in any other app. So, so I know how I work, right? And because I did everything, I'm an artist. I know how to draw. Like, and I how I think is I need to like doodle it up first. I have to create a thumbnail, and mm-hmm. that helps me like lay out. Where is the title? Where is the object? You know, there's going to be a couple logos or the year is going to be on somewhere. I'm going to assemble all the puzzle pieces together with a little thumbnail that's going to take me 30 seconds to make. And that allows me to just use the tool, which is the computer system, to build it out, right? Do you find that... You work that same way, and do you see that that is lacking with how some of the graphic designers are working now? Because everybody starts with the keyboard, it seems to me. Well, to be honest, uh, even back in the hand-drawn days, I didn't do a lot of sketching. I just started. Um, I started throwing elements in. I'd think about a part of the design that needed to be made, and I just started working on it on the line art. You know, I'd do some rough stuff sometimes. Uh, as a guide, but most of the time, um, I would have a reference I was working from and I just start drawing. Um, I do it, you know, especially after the computer, I really got bad about it. <laughs> I, uh, I would literally just, you know, just create as I went and never really had a super plan of what I was doing. Um, that's frustrating sometimes because it would, sometimes I'd sit there and take a little longer than I should, but, um, right, well- Thanks for proving me wrong, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, yeah, I actually am trying to do that now more than ever. Um, I started doing that uh, last art director position I had. I had ended up starting to do little thumbnails on sticky notes. And sticky and, notes, my go-to, three, the, the three by three size. You know, those. you got it. Yep. It, it really simplifies things and breaks down things into the simplest form and, you can elaborate later, but it, it did because I was on super timer constraints. I had to uh, I had to go that route, and it really helped me out. So I recommend it, even though I didn't do it for decades. Right. So uh, so you were working for a shop and doing some art. How many designs do you think back then you were doing in a day 
uh, you know, because you were, weren't using, you know, the, all the, the fancy tools. Like, could you get two done a day, three, maybe for pushing it? Well, um, things were, moved a lot slower back then. They really did. We, we just didn't have that many clients, you know, beating down the door. They just, they, everything moved slower. The printing moved slower. The people moved slower. There wasn't a, this, you know, urgency because, you know, the prices were pretty, pretty decent, you know, for what you were doing back then. And so people weren't as much in a rush as they are now because everything's dimed down to, you know, hardly any margins. And so uh, it was more about get the best results. You know, I was always told, you know, do, you know, I want something really cool. So that was always the focus was, you know, putting the effort into making the print look great. And so, you know, that's long gone, but, you know, for the most part, but it was a lot harder to get something to look good back then too. So everybody understood it took time. And yeah. Uh, yeah. so, if, I, the, if you tell me to do something cool, I'm going to punch you right in the nose. <laughs> I hate I hate that right I I've got a million questions and it doesn't start with do something cool <laughs> yeah yeah but uh it, it did back then and that's kind of when I cut my that's what I cut my teeth on is trying to do that that was my approach to things is make the print look cool and you know that's kind of what you know as I moved through these shops and you know because I went through a couple early on um and then started freelancing because I got into the racing and I started doing a lot of that. Uh, wasn't working full time anymore. I was just doing freelance and um, ended up doing uh, work for Arizona Sports Shirts. And um, if anybody knows who they are, they they're one of the industry long time big companies that does racing. And then uh, a friend of mine, Greg Tedder, um, he was uh, considered the father of racing art for t-shirts. Um, most everybody that's been around for any time at all knows, knows him and respects him. Uh, you know, rest in peace. Uh, he's no longer with us, but he was definitely an inspiration that drove me in my early days to really figure this stuff out. I mean, not just uh, a piece of art, but something that looked really good on a shirt. And that included a lot more factors than a, a cool piece of art. Um, you know, it made me really break into the production area and try to figure things out because uh, they weren't going to look good back in the hand days, you know, if, unless you knew what you were doing. So can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Maybe a design that you remember or like the angle of the car, like the three quarter view looks better than the profile view or something. Uh, no, it was really back then. It was really about how cool the design looked. I mean, it had to have good color, um, you know, nice details. Details were really lacking early on. Um, people didn't really know how to do anything with half tones. They didn't know how to do anything with, uh, you know, back then we were hand stippling for shading, and you know that was once you got into detail stuff that just became way too overbearing uh, and time consuming. Even though people were doing it. Um, you know, the fixed printed halftones are like on the format sheets, uh, the brand format is what I always used. And so I had to learn how to use those gradients together and overlap color to get blends to look right. And um, this was pre, you know, before anybody was really printing on black, they just didn't understand it. And so they'd stick to light colored or white shirts uh, for all the racing stuff. So I got that over time figured out, you know, inspired by Greg, I knew some people that worked with him and uh, that he was doing work for Andy's t-shirts out of California. And so I, I did my best to emulate his work and not copy, but just get that level of work, you know, to print. And once I did, I, I got a, I got a funny phone call one day and it was Greg. <laughs> and he said, you know, are you trying to copy my stuff? <laughs> And he, that's how our friendship began. So he's like, you know, he got upset when he found out that uh, the company I was doing the work for was people he had done work for in the past. And uh, so he said, you know what? I'm going to talk to Andy and see if you can start doing work for us. And that's how that whole thing began. And so when I, 
you know, went to Andy's, I really started picking up on the technique and learning the, you know, the color overlaps and blending and everything because they had a big press and hardly anybody did. Uh, I think they had a 14 color press back then. It was huge for them. And um, so I learned how to really draw a lot from my blends and, and the overlap that I was doing. And so that was, that was a great time. That was kind of, uh, uh, and it was, I did all this, you know, remote. I wasn't in their shop in California, so I didn't really know what was happening. I was really having to break down kind of seeing some of Greg's separations and, and figuring out why they were that way. And, uh, over time I, I did, I did catch on. So, so would you get access to the plates? I mean, how did yeah, you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I, they sent me photocopies of them, um, literally, because everything back then was there was no computer. So I got yeah. stuff at X, you know, and a tube. Right. And that's how I sent all my work. You know, everything was Rubylith and the film for the line art and rolled it up in a tube and sent it off every time. Gone are the days of <laughs> being in late on your deadline and running to the FedEx shop <laughs> yeah. before, they, before they closed to get it out the door, you know. So when you first started using computers and realized, holy smokes, this is going to save me all types of time, right? You just you just knew it was the epiphany. This is going to be the revolutionary thing, right? You yeah. I, did you have that light bulb moment that went off in your head because I did? Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, to back up a couple a couple steps, I. Um, had been doing freelance for a while after what I was saying earlier and, and something happened. I don't know exactly what it's just that, the, you know, dealing with the off season and how slow it got and things like that just weren't working out for me. And I was like, you know, I've got to go try to get on somewhere local and, and just, you know, work, have some steady income. And, um, so I ended up, uh, I was young still. I was in my, uh, mid twenties. And I think it was 93. Um, I showed up at a large screen printing company here at the time in Kansas City called Eagle Products. And uh, I don't know if some of the old timers or people back in the night, you know, that were buying shirts in the 90s remember the Bear Whiz beer T-shirts that <laughs> they produced uh, for like a decade. They sold the car out of those things. But uh, and that was that was prior to the. The, the big Johnson stuff, you know, and all those crazy humor t-shirts that this was right. before that. Well, I walked in the door, didn't have a clue if they were even hiring. Um, didn't even know them. And I walked in, I looked, you know, there's six artists in this front office working there and they're all, you know, doing things by hand. They're working on light tables. And I met the art director and, uh, Pete Nauer and, uh, I ended up convincing him saying, you know, are you guys wanting to print on dark shirts? And back then this was just when new Buffalo had started coming out with those amazing, you know, yeah. intense right. designs and printing on black and nobody was able to do this. Everybody was like, what in the world is this? And I convinced him, I said, well, you hire me and I will, I will get you to the place where you guys can print on black. And he hired me the next day and uh, I started a week later and, and I went, this is where I got my extreme amount of experience in the camera room because this was prior to the computer. And so for the first year, I probably blew through a thousand pieces of film easily <laughs> trying to figure this stuff out on a contact frame um, with a pin registration system. I eventually got them to get. So I was doing like as many as, 12 exposures on one piece of film with different pieces of Ruby, you know, blocking it out. So that I only got one area here and one area there and all of this stuff just to try to emulate what Gardner was doing at Buffalo. And, um, you know, I, I finally got pretty close, but never could figure out how he was doing his separations at the time. Not until I later got on, you know, went digital and, um, they had a Macintosh computer in the art department, but there was one guy that was not really an artist and he was just doing lettering. He was doing all the lettering and stuff and doing some really basic designs on it, which is 
you know, super simple graphics out of Illustrator. And I, that's when, you know, I started thinking about it, but I, I wouldn't touch it. And then a year later, he was talking about, oh, they got Photoshop. And then he's talking about all this stuff, you know, but he wasn't using it because it threw him off. He could, he's not an artist, so he didn't know what to do with it. When I saw it and I started, you know, looking at it, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is painting on a computer. This is doing artwork like I would do on my light table. And when that hit, I, I, I begged him, I said, will you let me, will you get me a Mac and let me start working in Photoshop? And I said, I guarantee you in a year, I'll, I'll be able to do all, I'll be able to start doing the work on the computer and not have to spend as much time doing this kind of stuff. And so they did. And they took a you know a risk on me, and so it paid off. You know, I was doing stuff out of the computer um, really quick after that, and they had they had to go to a better image setter process because um, they were printing on laser back then, and it was terrible. And they ended up actually buying a giant image setter chemical, you know, film uh, whatever they were called. I can't even remember what they were called now. Uh, it was an image setter and it would produce film that came from the computer, from a digital image and mm -hmm. you could print out from there. And so still had the nasty chemicals, but um, it was good film and big and, you know, we could do giant prints and big, big size prints and lots of really cool stuff that that's, you know, what everybody was trying to do at the time. So that's, mm -hmm. that's where the light bulb went off. That's where things changed. And I eventually, transferred every single artist in that department to digital um, over about a two-year span of time. Um, some of them mm. went kicking and screaming. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so Bruce, so you started off doing things by hand, and now you switched to doing things digital. Yeah. And uh, has your approach and thinking about how you're building an image, has that changed because of the digital tools? Well, absolutely. I mean, th there's no getting around that. Um, you know, and it's transformed over and over because at first, you know, you're only doing what you know. And so you're trying to use the computer like you were doing stuff by hand. You know, that's how you that's what your thought process is. Um, over time, as the program grew, as options uh, became available to do other things and, you know, these new, you know, layer adjustments and all these different things started entering the picture you i started developing different ways of doing things uh with with effects and texture textures and all these different things i had to do by hand or manually in the computer at first had changed so you know there's been lots of transformation over the years um to where the you know the point i'm at now where i'm you know against my own you know my own judgment i'm starting to consider, you know, even looking into AI, even though that's something I had kind of a heartfelt feeling about at first. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll save that whole discussion to the end because, you know, yeah. I have some opinions on that. <laughs> so um, so you, you start using the computer and this is when really, I think, uh, like more speed and notoriety comes and um, yeah. You know, and things just really start happening. And I think this is probably about the time that we haven't met in person, but I knew you from the uh, forum boards. Yep. Uh, back, back. Like 100 years ago. But like, <laughs> did that start in 96? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was uh, like you trying to figure it out and uh, doing SEPs and, uh, attending the trade shows and taking Mark Coudray's classes. And yeah. I took a Photoshop class in Boston for a whole week that was taught by um, the actual people who made Photoshop. Like, oh, wow. I, I took this color correction class where the guy, and this is going to feed into an uh, uh, interesting fact about you, was he, he would... Uh, use the info palette and he would take a picture and he would invite somebody to come up and just totally using curves, mess up all the color and using the info palette only what he wouldn't even see the screen. He could adjust it. So the image color was perfect. 
And it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's just because to him, it, you know, I'm an artist, right? To him, it's math, right? And he understands what the numbers mean. And and he had this whole theory, and which is why when I do anything now, because I took that class, the first thing I do is bring it into LAB mode because of what he showed me with how to color correct the image, finding the white point and the dark point and, you know, it curves and stuff. And so that's how my whole Photoshop theory started was because of that class. Right. So you told me something the other day that I thought was just absolutely amazing. Right. (laughs) And it has to do with the info palette. And so can you sh- share that a little trivia tidbit for us? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, my whole life I've been colorblind. And um, it's always presented a problem to me when I was younger doing artwork by hand. And that was I completely steered away from anything having to do with color. I was always black and white, you know, did, you know, everything with value and so you know screen printing had posed a new problem for me um when i first started and doing things by hand and adding colors i had to really i kept things vibrant and basic you know i can see pretty much pure color for the most part you know most colors but when you start to get muted and start to mix them i'm really lost i mean i cannot see purples i cannot see um you know, like greens and reds get mixed up to me. Um, it causes a lot of visual problems for me. And so unless it's toward dead center over the, you know, the purest part of the color it can be, I really have a struggle. And so what Illustrator and Photoshop did for me was, you know, Illustrator early on was all spot color. So I'd pick a spot color and I wouldn't have to worry about it. And, um, with Photoshop, the same thing, you know, I could go in and when I discovered the info palette, I was like, oh, you know, my goodness, you know, I can figure out what's happening by looking at the numbers. And so I would constantly check those numbers to make sure that I'm not <laughs> taking a blue and going into purple or, you know, vice versa, going into, uh, you know, a, a, I don't know, a blue green or something, and it was yeah. supposed to be purple. And so it was uh, it was a big help to me. And it's funny because when I started in the digital world, that's when my illustrative skills shot through the roof um, because I was a lot more willing to take risks and start to develop more detail, you know, adding more detail, doing things that I, weren't, I wasn't, uh, I was kind of afraid of doing early on. And is and, that because the tools were faster? Like, um, no, not necessarily faster. It was because of all because of command Z. <laughs> ah, yes, that's that's why because you know you could mess up, start over, mess up, just take a couple steps back, you know, with airbrush, really? not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of my favorite things to do is when I design, I design a lot by subtraction. Okay, so mm-hmm. I'll have stuff in and it'll be in its own little layer and I'll turn it off and I go. Is it better or worse? Okay, it's better with it off. That means it doesn't it doesn't make the cut, right? And yeah. I do a lot of that, and it's almost like Japanese in a way, where everything is just you got it. There's a there's an organized organized way of thinking, and everything has to make sense, and sure. it's based on what I call moves. Like if you do this, you got to do that. Right. And you can have asymmetrical balance just based on mass. Right. But you know, uh, it, everything has to have a move that counteracts or whatever. And that's when I design, that's how I kind of, I, that's how I think. Right. Um, and I, one of the cool things about doing stuff from the computer is you can always hit the undo or undo, 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 you know, two or five times in a row because you realize that just didn't work or how I do things usually is is I just make that experiment on its own little layer and then I'll just turn it on and off and then if I don't like it I can just delete it you know there you go I used to say multiple files (laughs) I would say file after file after file back yeah file one file two file final file seps file demo yep you got it (laughs) (laughs) I have that habit so and then 
And my trick also was, uh, I don't know if you do this, but I name everything in all caps because Me nobody too. does that. And, I do and that way I know it's my file, right? Yep. So yep. I, I do the same thing and only because I want it to stand out against the other files. And yeah. uh, that's why I started doing that. Like what you hear so far? Be sure to subscribe so you can get the latest from Success Stories. And now here's Zach shortly with the SMS Spotlight. Because fall is right around the corner, we just released a new style guide full of products perfect for selling during the season. Since this time of the year is all about layering, you'll see plenty of fall colored options for tees, wovens, hoodies, and jackets that your clients will love. To view or download the guide, visit us at ssactivewear.com and navigate to the digital catalog section under the resources tab. Thanks for listening. So let's get into you being an art director, right? So you've had a crew working for you. You've done stuff. You've done production in a shop. You've you've had all those, um, you know, those different positions, right? So talk sure. about how that, you know, you how, like, how do you work up an idea? Uh, how do you maybe like assign work to somebody? I think one of the biggest problems we have in this industry is, um, you know, we're going to hand the idea off. Like, so this could be a salesperson. Like right now, if you're a salesperson listening, you have to get the idea from the client, from the customer, and you have to hand it off to the art person for them to do their wizardry, right? So, Bruce, how do you recommend that you do that? What are the ways that you work? <laughs> Early on, that was a sore spot. Um, you know, for years, it seemed like, uh, not just in my experience, but many, many people I know, the salespeople were like the the devil. They were just yeah, they were hard. They, they were hard to they were hard to work with because you know their idea of you know what the customer said is not the idea the customer actually was trying to say, yeah. and so it always got lost in translation. And then what that obviously did was then when the art was done for approval, oh no, I wanted this and this and this. Well, then the salespeople love to yell at the art people because they didn't do it right, but we didn't have that info to start with. Yeah. And so <laughs> it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, communicated well. And so we didn't understand what the client wanted actually. You know, they're, they're thinking, you know, salespeople are thinking about sales. They're thinking about colors. Can we, can we, you know, I got to cut these colors down so I can give them a better price or they won't buy it. It's just all these reasoning, you know, that they would have for doing things the way they did it. Yeah. Um, or or they weren't having, thinking about any of that. They were thinking about lunch and they just left it blank. And, uh, exactly. and that left, and now you're hang, you're left hanging in the art department to like, what are they talking about? Right. Which is why I hate to do something cool. Uh, prompt, uh, not prompt, but the, uh, that's something different now, but uh, <laughs> do something cool instruction, right? So, yeah, well, and that's what I would get told all the time. So we had to interpret that somehow. But what I would do, I uh, would try to come up with ways to standardize essentially how that communication was being handled with the client so that, you know, whether it was directly, a lot of times uh, in some of the shops as an art director, I was asked to be a part of that. And so it wasn't up to the salespeople to figure that out. It was up to me to talk directly to the client, but that's not always ideal. And, um, you got to be the right person to do that. Uh, have the personality, you know, similar to a salesperson, but not be one. You got to still be a creative at that point. And so I would come up with standardized lists of questions. You know, it would just be, you've got to find these, these are the minimum requirements to find out from the client what they want and at least yeah. it would get us in the ballpark and then we could make adjustments but um, if that wasn't being done it was you know it was just a nightmare a lot of times so Bruce, did, go ahead did you use the term creative brief because that's what i called it and i would do the same thing where i would have a list of these are the things i need so you can write the creative brief so we can design um Maybe not that. I think I, I just called it design requirements or you know okay. something to that effect so that they would know, oh, these are the questions we got to answer. Um, because usually the customer does have a clue creatively what they want. 
you're really having to interpret that through whatever communications you get. But at least if the technical side of things is handled, you're not having to deal with mistakes and, you know, changes later because you weren't aware of it. So, you know, I tried to, as much as possible, get the creative response from the client if I could. If uh, the structure of the company was that now only the salespeople talk to them, then I would ask the, I would tell the salespeople, you need to ask them these questions. You know, what are they looking for here? Is it this, this, or this? And so for a salesperson, I would just say, you know, you really need to um, allow a good communication with the art department to speak about what the client is, is trying to communicate with you. And, do it in a way that's going to at least allow feedback. You know, if you get feedback from the creative side of it, you're going to ask better questions from your client. And so, you know, that's, I think the best that anybody can ever do. I mean, I I know that uh, there's shops that have perfected this process a lot better uh, because they're dealing in super high volume and have to get these, you know, answers a much quicker rate and more accurate to, avoid the costly mistakes. I mean, everybody wants to, but uh, when you don't have time, you've got to standardize stuff quite a bit. Yeah. So um, one of the best questions that was, that I had on mine, which was what I call the pertinent negative, right? So what is something that you don't want or what is the mistake or what is the danger zone, right? And yeah. We want to know what not to do. For example, it, if we're doing yeah. a, a rodeo design, don't use rope font, right? Or we yeah. don't want to see a <laughs> pair of boots. Okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, so that really helps by saying what you don't want. We don't yeah. want a cartoon. It needs to be realistic. Yeah. Because, it, you know, because if you say do something cool, I think a cartoon car will look great. You want something that's hyper realistic. We just spent six hours doing something that's wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I would, I wouldn't ask the, I wouldn't go to the negative until I felt out the positive side of things. If I could tell that there was not going to be enough positive feedback for what they wanted, then I would do come back around the other side. And then I would start asking all those, what don't you want questions just to narrow it down because yeah, it's, it is no fun going through five renditions of design because, you know, they think they can, they've got a, like a, an on-staff art department. They can just keep changing their mind. Yeah. So you have to, you get to definitely corral them into a, a small area. So, you know, I had a whole bunch of people that work for me as an art director and one of the things that we would always do is we would always have them out on the shop floor. We would have them help set up sometimes. We would also be in the screen room, be in the ink department, really understanding these three areas because uh, you're building the image, you know, in your computer, which is, you know, cold and sterile out there on the floor your print order, your mesh count, the the actual colors you're mixing, that's what's going to make that image either fall flat or really pop, right? And uh, so I wanted people to really understand these tools. And in every art department that I've managed, you know, the art department specifies the mesh count, the print order, where the flashes are, all of that stuff. And then we want to do that first. And then if it's not working, we adjust from there. Mm-hmm. Do you have that same theory? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I've experienced too many shops where the screen department is trying to dictate what they do. And they really don't grasp, you know, the print. Uh, on you know from the creative side and what what is attempted to be done with that design so yeah. you know right. early on like i said with eagle products it was a great that's probably the best screen printer i worked for in my entire life they had it was a family it was a huge shop they had gosh hundreds of employees and but the three main owners were all friends you know they were all friends from high school they had the father of one of them had started the shop well, they all three took over after he retired 
And that's when things exploded. They just worked well together, you know, in the same, it was an open air office, you know, it was really cool. We were all the art department, the office people, the salespeople, everybody were all in one big giant room. Used to, the, the building used to be a car dealership, an old, old car dealership, downtown Kansas City. And so they had this wonderful display room for the cars, but that was what the office was. And so everybody had a lot of reaction with each other. They were hearing things all the time. They could kind of be abreast of what's happening in other areas. And so it was really cool. And they had a great philosophy. You know, the art director um, didn't tell us what to do. What he did was, I need this. Uh, What do you think about this? And the art department was set up. they were everybody was really respected and and the company wanted them to know that hey we know that what we do rises and falls with what you create and um so everybody understood it it gave them you know you could you could easily get proud of that but at the same time though it gave you a responsibility you're like oh you know the success of this company kind of rides on what i'm doing so i really need to do the best i can and so um You know, it was cool because they would, you know, before the computer, they had hundreds of magazines always in the art department. Every month we'd be getting all these creative magazines and magazines to do with the the national forests and the parks and all that. So everything that would inspire us constantly to be because and we would we'd sit around for hours and just look at that stuff. But it would it would yield something. And and we had a lot of really well selling things that, that came out of that. But um, at the same time, you know, uh, trying to swing it back around as far as art departments, um, they had a cart that they would bring in. It had a pla- a platen bolted to it. And the artists had to proof their own designs every single time they came up with a new design. They would have to take their films to the screen department, then go through that process with them see what they're doing, talk to them. Well, I think that, you know, I want it on this and that. And they were, you know, working together. And then once they came, they got onto a screen, we would bring them down to the art department and everybody would come around and there was no, it was hand holding screens. You'd have two other artists would hold the screen and the other guy would pull the squeegee and then they'd take out, you know, they'd move to the next color and they'd do that through the whole process to get a manual print right there in the shop, right there in the department. And it really helped them get a grasp of what they were doing because they had to go back. Oh, gosh, those guys would go back because these are these are all stock designs. We weren't doing no contract work. You know, this is not something a contractor could do. Um, They just can't afford to do it. But we were doing stock designs for this company that sold millions of shirts. And the the cool thing about that is you realize uh, I'm going to use this for the underbase. I'm going to use this uh, higher mesh for this little hit right here. Exactly. I might change the print order up. What happens if I use solid yellow over top of a red halftone as opposed to the red halftone over the yellow? You yep. could play around with that a little bit before you actually uh, did the job for real. You got it. Yeah. And we had a little flash carry in it right there that we'd mm-hmm. <laughs> flash and everything that would be done on press. We had to emulate that. And then we had to write it down and then hand it over to production. Once it went into, we got approval from the art director. Yeah. Once he saw a print that he thought, okay, this is good. Then we would move on to production. They'd reburn the screens if they had to on roller frames and whatever for automatic. And so it was, it was a great testing process that, really pushed our awareness of what we were doing and um it had a huge impact on how i did art because really you know in the apparel industry as long as i've been everything was done off of in the back of my mind was always how's this going to print and so the way i created art was based on that and i i knew my limitations or at least i had a good understanding of it um and I knew if I had room to push it, try to do new things, which I always tried to do, <laughs> despite yeah. whether they were good ideas or not. Right. But uh, it really helped me gain a big library in my head of what's what's working and what's not working. And it, let me tell you, uh, right now, everything is changing. I think I want to move into the last question here, which is 
you know, uh, back in the day, we did everything by hand, and then the computer stuff came out, and now we're at the at the beginning stages of AI. Yeah, and really rethinking how we work and what we do and how we design and what are the possibilities and um, you know whether we're using um, you know Photoshop's changed with generative fill. Uh, you know I'm a big Mid Journey fan. I've been playing around with that this whole year and uh, doing some crazy things with it. Yep. Um, and I just think that just like back in the day when the computer came out and replaced that whole Ruby lift stack camera stuff with doing everything inside the box, more or less. Right. Mm-hmm. There was, everybody had to relearn and retrain. And I did that by doing little experiments all the time with trying to get something to work. You know, how do I invert the type out of a square? You know, whatever. I would do that, and I would try to print both plates, right? Just sure. these little simple things, and then I gave myself more and more complex little things to try and learn how to do, right? And that's how I developed a vocabulary with the software. And right now, we're on the cusp of this new era, right, which is, you know, for a guy that that used to cut ruby lift, right? It like I, I'm. It, it it could be a little daunting, right? What do you feel about that, Bruce? How does it strike you? Does it because when I looked at this at my first glance, it felt really dishonest. That like I'm not designing, I'm not doing that. But when yeah. you start playing with it, you realize if you really want to get quality out of it, it's, it's not as easy as you think. <laughs> That's right. You, you still have to be creatively minded. And, yes. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated with the process at this point, but I'm learning, um, picking it up, um, trying to match the, you know, the, the, the more mechanical side of it to the creative side of it. And, um, my view, of course, early on, and, and still is to some degree, is that you know I, I you know, I, I have all kinds of thoughts about AI in general, and it's not just to the creative side of things; it's everything. Um, it's a for me, it's more of a trepidatious thing. I'm, I'm I gotta just sit there and kind of watch what, what, you know, what is going on. How far are they going to go with this? Where is this headed? But with the creative stuff. Um, I don't like the fact that it does use, you know, it utilizes human creativity to do what it's doing. It couldn't have otherwise been able to do it. And without the, you know, God-given talent that creatives all over the world have, and, you know, it's coming from them, you know, this is, this is borrowed uh, ideology. This is borrowed talent. That it's using, and so that was the hard thing for me at first, because um, I was totally against it. And now I'm seeing, you know, it's the way I would approach it would be more of a similarity to finding, re, you know, researching my my uh, stuff online, trying to find resource material. You know, just doing doing resource work to to get the stuff that I need to go ahead and create the design. Well, you can do that now a, a lot quicker. You can be specific about it, and it yields better. It can yield better than a search, <laughs> and uh, you know, and you can play with it and actually get a lot more definitive in your end result a lot quicker. So it's it's doing what's in my mind, but through another tool that I you know. I won't utilize it and literally steal somebody's work, meaning their style. I'm not going to try to use it to literally try to create so-and-so's style. I don't, I'm kind of, I'm trying to intentionally be intentional about that when I'm doing prompts and when I'm I'm, I'm doing specific details, I don't want to just literally look like somebody else. I still want to create work that something that came out of my head and that's how I want to utilize it. But you know, I've, I've noticed you've been hanging out a lot with Mid Journey. Um, I, 
you know, mid-journey reminds me of working on a PC. <laughs> I'm a Mac guy and, you know, working on a PC always just like, oh, I, I can't deal with that. It's just a different world. Um, so I've, I've been kind of playing around with Leonardo and it seems to be more of a eh, artistic approach to it. And, and and it's getting better and it's catching up to mid-journey pretty quick. So I think I'm, that may be the direction I end up going in the end, but I'm playing with it right now. And since mid journey is no longer free anymore, <laughs> they still are. And so it makes it easy, you know, for most people right. to get into it and learn it. Uh, when you don't have a free thing to start with, or at least a free level, it's hard for people to get inspired to learn your product or your, whatever it is. Um, because they just don't, they don't want to invest in not knowing whether they're going to use it or not. Yeah. Well, mid journey was free until, yeah. um, a former ex-president got arrested and everybody made uh, he's in jail um, memes <laughs> and basically crashed their server. And yeah. so they, uh, they, they quit that. Right. But um, you know, as far as like emulating people's style, you know, artists forever, right. Have sure. been inspired sure. or tried to emulate. You talked about earlier about you know when you were younger, looking oh, yeah. at a, a, an art hero uh, and emulating what they were doing to learn. And sure. to me, Mid Journey uh, has more. Uh, it doesn't copy some of my stuff. It uses, sure. you know, it converts what it sees to math, right? And then it uses. Uh, it starts off with noise and uses an. Uh, algorithm to figure out whatever the image is based on you know whatever prompt you put in there sure. and the more words you use the more complicated the math structure is and yeah um and it's not perfect and it's super frustrating oh, no. and amazing all <laughs> at the same time and um but it. it but the way i see it is it's just a way that uh somebody with talent and skill and here's the important word taste right yes and yes can can iterate and create faster because we've got deadlines right and yep. uh, we have impatient customers and oh, yeah. that thing's got to ship friday and so how do you come up with whatever you can come up with the basic arts and have eight to 12 different images to kind of pick and choose from in under two minutes three minutes yeah uh, but getting to the point where you can throw the prompts in there and get to kind of what you want. That's what takes the time, just like okay. it took time to learn how to use curves in Photoshop or whatever. Sure. It takes a minute to learn yes. the basic vocabulary. And I think that's where a lot of people are right now is we're relearning. Right. And okay. it's scary and exhilarating yeah. all at the same time, you know, and, um, and you feel like you can't keep up. That's yeah. how I feel. I can't keep up. Yeah. Like, and that's funny you saying that because that's what I've been, you know, the last year, year and a half, when I started screen art studios, it was a very specific thing I had in mind. Um, I've been with, you know, known great illustrators and artists in the apparel industry for decades. And, I had gotten to a point where my heart was just breaking for some of them because I have a really good friend here locally um, uh, who is an amazing illustrator. He was an airbrush artist to start. Um, I got him on a computer back in the 90s, and he just never looked, never looked back. And his stuff, he did all the West Coast chopper stuff. He did huge, you know, just amazing stuff for all these huge brands. Um, been on the cover of Airbrush Digest magazine. He's just done a lot. He's a really good artist and a great guy. But there came a time when the market really crashed really hard. Things were going overseas. Mills were shutting down. Um, all his clients went away. The, comp the big companies he did work for disappeared. And he had to take a job. The guy ended up working at Home Depot. And, that, and he stopped doing art. He, he wouldn't do it. And it just killed me to see that because of his talent and his ability and his love for doing it. Um, it just killed me. So for like six or seven years, he didn't know art at all. He didn't pick up a pencil and he retired. <laughs> he got to retirement with, with Home Depot left and uh, 
didn't know what to do with himself. And his wife brought him home an iPad. <laughs> and he ended up getting Procreate and just started doing art again. And I was, I'm so happy to see that happen. And, but at the same time, I was like, man, there's, I don't know how many guys out there have experienced this. And they're just super talented guys. And the market went, you know, the art went real simple. Everybody's cheap and fast out the door. And they didn't care about that kind of artwork anymore. And so I wanted to figure out a way, you know, to get that stuff to come back. Because I knew we'd been, we kind of cycled through, uh, you know, the styles. We'd been through the simple stuff. It'd been long enough. I knew it was coming that this high-end, more hyper-illustrated look was going to start coming back. And I thought, you know what? That would be great if I was one of the only guys to be doing that, you know, with apparel artists. And so I contacted a bunch of guys, many, many people, you know, um, and they thought, you know what? That'd be a great idea. You know, if I can bring work to them, you know, for that kind of style work, um, that's what I wanted to do. And so that's kind of what I've been doing over the last couple of years. Problem is it has been difficult to find the high end work because you have to really know the companies that are doing it. Um, you know, not, not every screen printer for sure is doing that kind of work. And, um, they just can't find the clients themselves to, to sell that to. So now I see this, uh, advent with the, uh, the AI is all of a sudden everything you're seeing out there is like really hyper illustrated looking stuff because people aren't actually having to do it. <laughs> and so they're producing a lot of this stuff because it hasn't been around for a while. And so now you're seeing lots of things start to come out in print and even in apparel that the, uh, the work is definitely becoming more illustrated and more uh, definitely more detailed. And so right. Right. that's kind of, where that it got inspired from and that's where I see things going. So as an artist, even a hyper illustrator, um, you're not going to be able to avoid AI at some point because there's no way you can compete with the time and, and the way of producing that kind of artwork without getting involved somehow. Yeah. Well, you know, somebody was saying the other day that, AI is going to take their job and that's why they don't like it and all that stuff. And I'm like, dude, AI is not going to take your job. Somebody who knows how to use AI is the one that's going to take your job. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of one of these things where um, you, you know, just to use the same discussion we've been having, right. You can be the, the best Ruby lift color in the world but now I've got Photoshop and I can just hit steps and go, right? Your, your skill cutting the Ruby lift doesn't matter anymore, right? Yeah. And and I think there to some degree, you know, uh, if we can retrain and and rethink about how we're creating and what we're doing and how we're getting to the end result, and the end result is all we care about, right? A happy client is what we want. Right. And so how are we using the tools? And you can still use your illustrations. You can still use your photographs. You, you can still, but we can be using uh, these tools to um, add, add to the flavor of the gumbo, so to speak. Right. And we can get to the end result faster. Right. So yeah. that's just kind of how I see it. So yep. we need to wrap up here, Bruce. So any last minute words or thoughts before we go? Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, we covered a lot of area. Um, gosh. I think that uh, artists are going to definitely have to expand. Um, you're not going to be able to rely on shops anymore, to be honest, uh, to get a job, be in an art department, um, just because of the expanse of everything through AI. Um, you're going to have to become a marketer. You're going to have to become a salesperson. You're going to have to become a businessman to understand how things work. But, you know, for you to really excel as an artist, you're going to have to be able to literally produce, I think, at some point, your own work, um, produce your own brand, produce whatever um, to be able to sustain. Um, I think it's, it's gone beyond working in a shop uh, anymore. I don't think that that's a sustainable type of position now. And so you have to really consider and take in a whole lot more uh, to be successful. And 
again, sustaining as an artist. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, thanks for your thoughts today and sharing your story, Bruce. Really appreciate it. What's the best way to contact you if somebody wants to learn more about what you do or how you could help them? Um, the easiest way right now um, would just be to do my Bruce Kittle creative dot or at gmail.com. That's my email. Uh, my website's under construction right now, so I'm revamping it. So um, I do have a uh, kittlecreative.com uh, portfolio that people can look at if they want to see some of my work. But uh, those are the two best ways to get a hold of me at this point. Okay, well, great. Well, thanks for being on the show, Bruce. Uh, it was fantastic. I love talking yeah. to stuff, as you know, and uh, oh, yeah. we'll catch you next time. Marshall, I appreciate you bringing me on. Uh, you have a wonderful week. I will. All right, thanks. Uh, take care. Well, that's our show today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on the latest Success Stories episodes. Have any suggestions for future guests or topics? Send them my way at marshall and marshallatkinson.com. And we'll see you next time.